Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is April 17th, and we have a very special episode for you. Joining us from Bleacher Report is NFL draft expert Connor Rogers. Connor, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. I know we've been meaning to do this for a while, and I'm excited to talk some Penn State players today. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, NFL draft is less than a week away um, for some of our listeners who maybe aren't as into the draft as we are. I know uh, I know you've been doing this for quite a while. You know, you've been at Bleacher Report five or six years covering NFL in all kinds of different ways. But uh, how long have you been in the weeds of grading players, mock draft, covering the draft, kind of doing it all? Yeah, I would say the actual coverage for me God, probably goes back to around 2012 when I was in college. And, uh, you know, it was really something I just did for fun being a fan of the draft. And there was all these blogs starting up and, you know, podcasts were kind of getting off the ground. So I, I kind of got my feet wet and being a guest on a few. And it was mostly for me uh, being a New York kid, just Jets coverage. And I felt like, you know, that was actually a weird time where um, the Jets actually had like a good run in 09 and 10. So for the first time ever, it felt like the Jets drafts weren't as significant <laughs> as they usually are. And, and then when, of course, when I got into it, they started to spiral back down and the drafts became important again, which on the flip side was good for me because it was a lot of visibility, a lot of expo- uh, exposure. And, and I think covering the team in blog format, you know, it, it, while it's a traditional way, uh, it helped me really just focus on what matters, and that was writing. So it, it was cool, and it was a great way to get in. It's a lot of free work, as just about everybody in this industry knows, and a lot of time because you're pretty much doing it outside of your normal, whether it's school, which it was for me, work, which it was for me as well. But uh, obviously, it was totally worth it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. We can we can definitely relate. Uh, first, both as Jets fans, uh, so we can commiserate nice. with you on that one. Um, and then same, you know, we we kind of same path. You know, we're both just Penn State grads. Love the team. Started this podcast a couple of years ago, and kind of same thing. Just do it for fun. Um, so, like I mentioned, we're going to get into you know some of the some of the specific guys in the draft. Um, but I first want to start with just a general question of um, kind of the perception of Penn State from. NFL GMs and scouts and execs. Um, I think we've seen schools like Ohio State, Alabama, you know, earn that reputation of football factories, day one starters. Um, when an NFL team is looking at a Penn State guy, what's that association that they're, they're kind of tying it to? Sure. And what you have to realize is, you know, a lot of guys working in the league have been in the league for such a long time that they don't have the same traditionalist views where it's like, Clemson is going to have all the good players or should have all the good players. Now that's definitely been the way in recent years, but they still look at Penn state as obviously a super, uh, you know, premier program, I should say. Now I definitely have a spiral view because my dad's a really big Penn state fan. So I grew up watching this team uh, nonstop. And, And this was like, this is the college football team that was always on in the house. So I think for me, you know, all the great players you get, you get to see growing up, I don't really think the um, prestige of the program has gone anywhere in terms of that. I, obviously, you know, scandals are another thing, but that doesn't affect how teams scout the players in the uniform. So that, that is getting away from it. I, I think the most notable thing personally for me since I've been doing this is just the level of athlete they put out, the training staff, the program. Like these guys are combine ready Every single year. And it's not, it's not the Saquon Barkley's of the world or, you know, gross mottos or, you know, I know Hamler was hurt, but Hamler, I've been trying to tell everyone Hamler could have went four twos. Like that's, <laughs> that's what's crazy about it. We yep. don't talk about that enough. It's not those guys. It's your, 
day three players of the world that are still trained. What I like about it is like Penn State almost maxes out their players. Like every second they could shave off their times, every rep they could get on their lifts, every little thing like that. It seems like their nutrition and weight program is as good as it gets. Now, while the football team hasn't been, you know, in college football playoffs or, or this premier top five team, the NFL talent is still there year after year. And, and I think that is very, very evident once again this year. Yeah, that's awesome to hear because I think that's something we kind of pride ourselves internally. I mean, you saw it, what was it, a couple of years ago, Troy Apke, I think, worked his way up. You know, what what did he go, round five? Because he could run, run, according to Dion. Um, You know, that was a guy we didn't know if he would even get drafted. So um, that's really cool to hear that, you know, that that resonates with with the NFL's teams too. So uh, let's jump into some players. Pat, kick us off with some KJ talk. Yeah, I mean, you you brought it up with, uh, you know, you're you're telling people that he could have run a 4-2. Is that one of those things that everyone who matters knows that? Or is like, did it kind of hurt him that he didn't officially like get to do it at the combine? It hurts because you don't get to see it. And that's always the frustrating part. I think with Hamler, you know, you watch the film and you go, okay, he's got sub 4-4 speed, right? You look at it, he looks like he moves at a 4-3 clip on tape. You know, with the way Penn State players seem to over, always overachieve at the combine, the reason I say – he could have went sub four three is because you just never know with these guys and he's moving as fast as anyone on the football field. And listen, Ruggs is obviously really was in his own category uh, this year, but the closest guy, honestly, in my opinion was Hamler. And, and I think he could have, you know, really eclipsed that four three mark. And I think when you don't get to show it, it hurts it, being hurt. It always kind of, you know, puts a dent in your stock because you're a small guy. He's 5'9", he's 178. You know, he obviously has a small catch radius. And I think when you look at that, you worry about those guys staying healthy at the next level. It was a concern for Hollywood Brown as well last year. And I think that's kind of Hamler. I don't want to say direct comparison, but I think it's interesting to me. You have this, this group of people that think Hamler is a gadget player and then a group of people that think Hamler can be – the true deep threat of an offense. And that's kind of the side I lean on. Now the drop rate is, is a nightmare, but that's just something that, you know, you're you're just going to deal with it because the big plays are worth it when it comes down to that. A lot of great deep threats have had drop problems before they can come and go. They can linger. It really, you don't really know what you're going to get out of it. And another thing to keep in mind with Hamler is he was a redshirt sophomore. I didn't even expect him to declare this year, to be honest with you guys. I really didn't. I thought the relationship with the quarterback and the fact that one more year of just blowing up his stock in what we hope next year, or at least what we think next year will be a weaker wide receiver class. There'll be star talent. Of course, there's a lot of stars, but this class is like 20 players deep (laughs) right now. And he decided to go for it and he'll still be fine. So I think with Hamler, you know, he, he did the right thing by saying, hey, let me get healthy and I might be able to do a pro day. It just, you can't predict a world pandemic and, and that's what's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. And is there any, uh, you know, with, we, we hear about the drop rate a little bit with him. Is there anyone uh, kind of out there going, well, you know, they kind of, he was the only wide receiver that they ran their offense through. It was like the tight end and him basically getting all the reps. Did they look at that and go, you know, maybe that's why it's a little bit of elevated drop rate or is it still more of a concern? I think it's a concern just because he got logged for 12 total drops this year. And while you're right, you know, the targets might be, might be up there as a, as a featured guy. It's just taking away from the sample size of, you know, of how many 
there absolutely were. Now, what I like to really point out with things like this, like drop rate is, you know, you're making tough catches when you're a guy that works primarily more down the field. And, and yes, they get him involved on, you know, whether it's touch passes, screens, things like that. But Hamler does a lot of work down the field. And those are just naturally going to be tougher targets. It's not going to be like a guy, you know, like I think Justin Jefferson from LSU has good hands and a good catch radius. And I think that's what makes him a really good player. But if you watch the LSU offense, it's a much easier offense to operate in from being a wide open scheme standpoint and having less defenders draped on you or less attention, things like that. So it does help Hamler. I think he'll be a top 50 pick. Uh, there was a time in this draft, you know, before he couldn't work out that I felt like he was destined for the end of round one. I really like the fit with Green Bay, actually, at 30. I think that's one where, you know, they need speed. You look at their offense, and Devontae Adams is a guy that's a great route runner, can really do everything short, intermediate, and some deep work. Alan Lazard is somebody that's a big-bodied pass catcher. You're just looking for a field stretcher for that offense. So I feel like with KJ, that's, that starts to be his floor ceiling. And then, uh, you know, the pick ceiling. And, and then um, when you look at his pick floor, when you run like he does, this guy should not make it out of the top 50. Yeah, I, I, I've got my fingers crossed with the Jets taking him, I think, at like 48. Uh, I don't know if he'll fall that far or if the Jets are smart enough to take him if he's there. <laughs> um, yeah, I put him there before. Uh, you I, know, when they I'm lost hoping. Robbie Anderson in free agency, I said this is kind of a seamless fit because, you know, you'd have two small receivers in the offense with him and Crowder, but it doesn't, that doesn't really matter when you have that much speed and you can get a big-bodied pass catcher you know, elsewhere in this draft, and along with Perriman, you're looking at, guy, you know, guys that run 4-3 in your offense. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. With the way the rules are, are enforced these days in the NFL, I, putting a premium on size isn't the way it used to be. Now, it does matter. Players are going to get banged up and hurt on non-contact injuries. But once again, it's just – it's not the way it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, speed kills. Yeah, so true. Yeah, we'd love to see him for the Jets. I think the Packers – it would make a lot of sense if he does get in that first round. Um, let's switch to, to another guy, one of my favorite players uh, in recent memories, Yitor Gross Matos. Um, you know, he's, he's a projected round one talent. Uh, everyone knows his story at this point, everything that he's gone through in his personal life. Um, but it seems like he's, you know, he's a high projected pick in the edge class this year, edge being a premium position. Um, and it seems like the edge class maybe isn't as deep this year as others. You've got Chase Young, who's in a class of his own. We know that firsthand playing him at Ohio State. Um, and then you got guys like Caleb on Jason, Gross Matos, and maybe Epinesa. Um, when you look at those guys, where, where does Yitor fall for you in there? Is he in that same class as a Caleb on Jason? Is he a little bit further down? It seems like it's a, it's a weird grouping of edge rushers this year. It really is. And he, he went the opposite route of Hamler, where he capitalized off of a very, very weak group, where to me, he's the clear-cut edge three uh, it, you know, just to kind of paint the picture of it, it, it is spaced out. Chase Young is my top player in this draft. And then you look at Caleb on Chase on, I have him 16th overall, so about the halfway point. And then you get to Gross Matos, and I have him 35th overall. And I think it's it's been a really tough time for me to evaluate him because I never know what version of him we're going to get. Now, what I feel good about is, number one, there's only so many guys that are 6'5", 270 with 35 inch arms I mean just the, the the builds of this guy is very very rare in a sense of that now when you look at it his pass rush plan is very incomplete and I, I know you guys are probably very privy to this as 
you know, there was some games where it felt like nobody could block him. And there was other games where you, you kind of forgot he was on the field when the team was passing the ball. And, and that's frustrating for a premier player. Now, what I'll say is the same thing happened to Caleb on chase on this year at times, there's times where you forgot he existed and times where nobody could block him off the edge. So that's life as a college pass rusher. Not everybody is chase young where you're, you're just, you're, you're more prepared than everyone else while also more physically gifted than everyone else. Now, what I like about gross Matos is the latter is, is kind of down, right? You aren't really worried about the physical ability or traits. And I think what I did like from him as well, when I really turned on the coach's film after the season, I actually saw a pretty smart uh, run defender, a guy that, you know, understood how to contain he understood not to overshoot. I have, you know, this is the time where I would love to, you know, pick a brain of a Penn State defensive staffer and be like, how much did you really ask him to just go? Because sometimes it looked like he wasn't asked to do that. While other games where the sack numbers or pressures were high, it did look that way, especially against lower levels of competition where they knew a double team wouldn't even really work. So once again, when you have that kind of length and you play you know, so, um, how do I put this? Now, I don't want to say efficiently, you know, but so smart. He, he's not, he's so under control and just like, he understands everything in front of him and his job. It's weird to have a player like him at 35, but you feel good about the floor. It's the same with Epinesa where I feel good about both their floors because I don't see them really get walloped in the run game. You just are always asking for more as pass rushers. But on the flip side, younger prospects, you know, they can be coached up. Landing spot will be huge. It, it, this is a perfect example of that. You can't pick where they go, unfortunately. And uh, I think he'll be a pretty good player at the next level. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's gotten the, you know, quote unquote, boomer bust label a few times from some people in the media. And I don't know if that's completely fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> see that with him. I think yeah. he'll be at least a pretty good player against the run. Exactly. And I, and I think, like you said, it, it depends on fit. So, you know, we've seen a lot of mocks with uh, the Vikings, the Titans, the Seahawks, the Pats. Where do you think his best fit is for him to go and succeed? I would say Seattle. I, I think and also Minnesota's a really, really good one uh, now that, they, you know, Everson Griffin's gone. And it looks like, you know, they listen, they when they took Daniel Hunter, uh, I feel like I probably said the same rant about Daniel Hunter in that draft where I was like, man. They just don't make many people like this with this, these, you know, physical gifts and ability, but will he ever be a productive player? Cause the Neil Hunter was not in college. He was very similar. I mean, gross models was way more productive than him actually. So when you look at it, you know, Minnesota can coach these guys up. Seattle can coach these guys up. The schemes are really, really good fit for him. And I think those are, that's the sweet spot of the draft for him. I think he goes into twenties just cause I have him at 35. I think, he plays a premium position. He has a lot of upside, and I think he'll go in the 20s. And those are the landing spots that make the most sense to me. Now, you know, would I be shocked if he went – I don't even – I'm trying to sit, see here, like 19 to Jacksonville after they decide to trade Yannick and Gakwe? No, I wouldn't be shocked at all because teams will, you know, place a premium on players that, that have so much higher of a ceiling like Gross Matos where he can go earlier than we expect. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's what we're hoping for. We're excited for these guys seeing, seeing some first round talent, early second round. I think that's where Penn state's been the last couple of years, you know, from, from Saquon and Miles Sanders, we're getting back to that, you know, consistent production. So really Chris excited. Godwin should have been a second or first rounder. <laughs> <laughs> that was our last topic here. You, you read our minds. So um, that's why I asked in the beginning, how long you've been, you know, intently covering this. We got a couple of guys, Godwin and Allen Robinson, Pat express your, frustrations on how Godwin should have been a New York Jet. Oh, honestly, they, they, so they both should have been. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Artarius like, Stewart instead. Yep, yeah. and, and, and Jason, Jason Morrow. Morrow. Yeah. Oh. Although I think he would have been good if it wasn't for injuries. <laughs> but that aside, you know, like as a Penn State podcast, I, I think we come into the draft every year, like talking about how our guys are underrated. And like, the, I thought like for us, these were two guys who seemed like can't miss. They, they put up big numbers in college. They, nothing, they do nothing but catch the ball. And it, 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 it baffles us a little bit, I think, as Penn State fans, that they fall as far as they do behind guys. Now, admittedly, Godwin's wide receiver class was absolutely stacked. Yep. But, like, Godwin fell behind, like, ten guys, nine of whom I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting. Well, it's a great question because I would love to really know how does that happen in sense of, like, what were teams not seeing in him? And I remember the Godwin year. Uh, I mean, all of Twitter liked him. Like, I don't really – I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I liked Chris Godwin because I had, the internet liked Chris Godwin. I don't understand where the league missed on him. It's a little confusing. I, I remember I'm trying to think. One conversation I had with the executive that year on him because we were debating a couple of the wide receivers that we thought would be there on day two. And, and it, I get the, the vibe was that they thought, you know, he wouldn't run away from NFL defenders as much and how he would be in contested catch situations. And it hasn't been a problem at all. So, you know, now it's hard to, you know, once again, the Tampa offense is, it's going to inflate numbers a little bit, but one, the guy is a great player and was severely uh, under drafted. It's just nuts to me when you look at it. So it can go a couple of different ways. It, it really can. I think, you know, Sometimes teams just overthink it. Uh, sometimes teams struggle to see what the true picture of a player is in an offense where it, it might not be, you know, lighting it up. And other times it's as simple as this, guys. There is an SEC bias in the NFL. Yep. Yep. You know, it, I mean, I'll, I'll sit here and just be honest. There is. And uh, it, I don't it's know. It's not just in the NFL either. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah, God forbid you say anything wrong. So. <laughs> You know, and, and then you look at Godwin's profile. I mean, he ran a four four two. You know, he, he jumped really well. His seven yeah. three cone. The shuttle time was great. Like everything was there for him to translate. So uh, it's it's tough to figure that one out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the draft is you know you know this better than anyone. It's a crapshoot. You know, we predict, we mock. Things change all the time. So no, we got to get you out of here. But a couple rapid fire questions to wrap us up. Um, you know, quick couple word answers here. Do draft analysts like yourself actually care about their mocks being right? We change them so many times. Do you guys actually go back uh, and you're like, how many did I get? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, people, people, so people do. I, I don't really get hung up over it. I do take pride in ge like generally narrowing it down. Like yeah. I don't want to be sitting there and be like, you know, oh, I think the Panthers are definitely taking Derek Brown. And then – they go like so far from that. And it's just like, damn, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, it's so, <laughs> you don't like that, but overall pick like how right you are at the end of the day, everybody starts copying each other. So it doesn't matter anyway. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, we know the whole process leading up to the draft is, is really intense. I mean, you guys are watching hours and hours of tape, studying hundreds of players. Is there something go-to that you'd love to do once it all over? Take a vacation, go for a night out, Ooh. or are you just next on to next year already? No, that's a great question. I am not on to next year already. That is 100%. No. <laughs> I do the same thing every year. So I always forget, number one, that my work isn't done after the draft, which is foolish. The next two weeks I have to do – the grades and like player on team analysis, which is just as much as the month before, but I always forget that. So I celebrate too early. I, I drop, <laughs> I drop the ball before the goal line. And so we do that. And then the next two weeks of May are, are pretty chill for the most part, especially at work. It's a shame I won't be in the office, you know, till God knows when right now, but they're usually a little chill. Uh, I'll dabble in like the star players of next year's college football season. Like this year, I would, the last two weeks of May, I'll probably watch Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Ross, you know, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, dabble, guys. I'm not sitting there for yeah. me. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then June, I go to Europe every year as vacation. Nice. So, yeah, I, I try to see different places. Uh, I'm kind of like a history nerd. So, that's what, cool. I've been, that's what I've done the last two years. And, I, you know, I pretty much do that, hopefully do that every year, just see different places and stuff. And that's kind of like a, a good uh, no, two weeks of, like, really no phone and like little to know nothing so I, that's the way to do it and then i come back for summer in july and i uh, try to get through about 50 to 100 100 players just to knock out before the season starts and we plan the tailgate tour yeah that's awesome man um and then the last one i know when you guys interview players you guys often ask them you know who do you look up to or who do you model your game after uh, is there anyone in the draft world or just media world in general that you you know look up to and, and kind of grew up watching as you've gotten into this role yourself yeah, that's a great one. I think for me, you know, so I'm 28 years old. So I grew up watching uh, Kuiper and McShay with the draft. And I think they both, you know, everybody likes to poke fun at, at Mel now. And I get it. And, <laughs> you know, he probably earns it plenty of times. But I think, uh, I, I think those guys deserve credit for where, you know, I get to sit today. I mean, it's, it's like this crazy world of 24-7, 365 draft coverage that gets bigger and bigger every year. So I think I'm thankful for the ESPN coverage of it. And then I think what Mayock has done going from, you know, sure he played, but he never scouted in the league. And, and to be an analyst, a media analyst for that long and then get a shot at the league. And I think doing a pretty damn good job of it in just one year, I, I find myself rooting for Mike Mayock because that's something like, I hope to do this guys for, you know, as long as I can, but there is always a part of me that like, maybe when I'm like 50, 55 years old, I'd love to sit in the GM chair and be like, all right, let's like yeah. cut all the BS out and see if I could actually do this when the heat is on. So I think like that side of me really makes me appreciate and respect and root for Mike Mayock. And then just from an entertainment uh, standpoint, which we do a ton of at Bleach Report and stick to football, we try to make it fun. I think what Kyle Brandt is doing right now is like, is just phenomenal to be yeah. honest with you. I, I think he, he makes football fun. And I think a lot of people forget that that's why we watch football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, when Connor or when Gary V buys the jets in 20, 30 years, I'll, I'll put your name in for G. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Um, if you guys ever do a tailgate tour at Penn state, hit us it's up. coming. Love to host it, you. Um, it's, it's coming. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you want to check out Connor, check him on Twitter, at Connor J. Rogers. Uh, check out Stick to Football, awesome, awesome podcast. And you guys are going to be doing some live coverage of the draft, right? 
That's right. On uh, the Bleacher Report app and YouTube, for, with uh, Bleacher Report's YouTube page, we will be live for at least the first five rounds. So uh, I think, you know, I'm biased. I think it's the best. So you don't have to worry about commercials and all that well, we crap. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we'll talk about the players the whole time. So I can't wait. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, best of luck with everything over the next week. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Later, boys.